Okay, welcome <laughs> everyone. Hello, um, this is the Making Strides podcast where we seek to decenter whiteness in the sport of running through sharing in our experiences as Asian American, biracial, multiracial, you know, persons of color. And hoping to have, you know, discussions and conversations on how we can work towards um, more inclusion and therefore more safety within the sport. I am your co-host, Carolyn Sue, and this is Stephanie Flippin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so excited to be recording our fourth episode here. How are you doing today, Carolyn? Oh, well, I actually wanted to ask, what did you think about the intro this time? I was kind of nervous about saying that. No, I liked it. I liked it. I think it was honest and I feel like it covers like the topics that we've been discussing, um, but maybe we haven't like, you know, expressed um, it in that way before. And I think it's good to, I think it's good to express it in that way because that is the point of our podcast and the point of our conversations here. Okay. Wow. All right. We're just going to put it out there. Decentering whiteness. Uh, even though it makes me uncomfortable. And I think we've had this conversation before about yeah. why it makes us uncomfortable right? to, to name and specify uh, what our actual, you know, purpose is and uh, talking about whose comfort it is that yeah. we're trying to appease, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, um, well, but <laughs> here we are. And uh, I don't know, like, I feel like, I'm still kind of coming off of the Boston Marathon yeah. uh, buzz and high mm-hmm. and, and everything that it entailed. And that was about two and a half, almost three weeks ago. Yeah, gosh, time is flying by. I know that was such an incredible trip. Um, <clears throat> it was really ironic, though, because we started the trip kind of prepping for our live show where we hosted Myrna Valerio, our wonderful friend. Um, but yeah, I felt like it was some very unique foreshadowing, um, Mm -hmm. our recording that we did as well as the meeting that we had, um, prior, what was, was that two days prior or a day, a day before we had that meeting, um, with the Asian American Alliance, uh, group. And we had some really interesting conversations there that I felt like were super helpful for us leading into the live show and getting us more, well, we talked about comfort and we talked about whose comfort we were kind of catering towards, um, you know, and I think that was very much intertwined with our own comfort as well. Um, but yeah, I felt like we touched on some really interesting topics during that live show with Myrna that ended up being very pertinent as the weekend uh, transpired. Yes. So the day before our live show, uh, Stephanie and I hopped onto a call that was organized by a friend of ours, Ben Chan. Um, mm-hmm. And it basically is it oh, was an affinity group for Asian Americans specifically. Um, and uh, to kind of, and it wasn't necessarily for people who are in the sport of running per se, but just all across the, um, the country. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be a regular meeting space where we can safely share either our ideas on um, initiatives that we are working on within our own workplaces or spaces that we're in, or also to um, share about just different 
experiences that people may have encountered um, <laughs> in their respective you know, spaces. And uh, something that one woman brought up was how she was at a conference where uh, it was specifically for um, DEI uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion educators uh, for uh, corporations. And during that conference, they had breakout sessions. Um, again, for uh, everybody went into their different respective um, affinity groups. So, you know, it, she was in a group with other Asian Americans. And, um, and she shared how uh, for a good, I don't know what, like 20, 30 minutes of mm -hmm. their time together, um, everyone noticed, but did not outright acknowledge necessarily. Um, there was one white woman who was there. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, someone, one woman raised her hand and basically acknowledged and said to the, to the white woman, like how it made her feel very uncomfortable and unsafe that she was there uh, in their meeting space. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically because it was supposed to be a safe space for Asian Americans. And um, and then uh, what ended up happening was, you know, the, the white woman was very like understanding, right? And then ended up mm -hmm. leaving. Um, mm -hmm. But then after she left, um, there was a huge discussion, right? On mm -hmm. There were some other group members uh, who felt like it was unnecessary to have to point that out and ask her mm. to leave. And then there were others who brought up the question of like, if this were any other affinity group where there was a white woman, would it have even taken that long before yeah. anyone even acknowledged that mm -hmm. it was making them feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, in a space that was designed for the safety uh, of fellow Asian Americans? And mm -hmm. so that is something that really stuck out to Stephanie and I, mm -hmm. um, and as well as, you know, a lot of the other people who were on that call that day, um, because it made us question, right? Like for myself in particular, mm -hmm. I was also like, oh, I don't know, like, mm -hmm. would I have said something, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe I would have just given her the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe she has a daughter who's, you know, maybe she has an adopted daughter who's like mm -hmm. Asian and she was there. She wanted to learn. I don't know. I was right. like making up all these positive yeah. excuses right as mm -hmm. to why she was there but I think it was also very valid that there are people who did feel uncomfortable then showing up as their full selves right mm -hmm. um in a space that was supposed to be safe for them and there was a white woman there mm -hmm. right um Steph, do you want to, what were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know the situation is so, um, I'm really, really glad we, we both hopped on that call because it gave us such a unique like frame of reference and just this topic that I think has been hovering in our minds, particularly with the creation of this podcast, but we've never like been able to maybe put a name on it or like a label. Um, yeah, and it, it really got me thinking, especially, and I, I brought this up on the call uh, because I believe I was likely, I think I was the only person on that call who is biracial. Um, you know, I'm, I'm half white. So for me, I did find myself being like the same thing as you, Carolyn, like trying to, you know, like play, almost play devil's advocate and kind of like find the reasoning behind like why she may have been there. Um, but then it also made me dive a little bit further in terms of maybe the experiences that I've had, which are 
definitely much fewer um, just because I did grow up in a very diverse place in Southern California. Um, but it made me think about some of the experiences I've had here living in Colorado. And I feel like for a long time, and it probably wasn't really until like the aftermath of 2020, where I even felt comfortable, like, like telling someone else besides my husband or like my, my parents, my, my close friends and family, honestly, not even my close friends. I, I felt this almost sense of embarrassment uh, to share some of these experiences that I've had. And I think it does stem from the fact that I didn't want to make my close friends who are white or maybe like haven't had those types of experiences. I didn't want to come off as making them uncomfortable or seeming like I'm, I'm pointing fingers. It, it's, I straddled two worlds being biracial. Um, so I feel like it took me a, quite a while to come to terms with those types of experiences and to understand that they did happen. And it's, it's no, we aren't, no group of humans is a monolith. So by me sharing about those experiences, it's not me pointing fingers at, you know, my dad or like my white friends or my partner, you know, um, but just having that conversation and extrapolating further on that encounter um, that that woman had on the call that we had joined was really interesting. Um, and like I said, I feel like for you and I, we kind of marinated on that uh, the rest of the day as we were preparing for the live show um, with the understanding that, you know, while we were so fortunate to have a wonderful, wonderful audience and many of our close friends and supporters and many new faces as well, it was really scary to be in such a public arena uh, and to bring up these topics that quite frankly are uncomfortable, you know, and they're uncomfortable for all of us for, for numerous different reasons. And I think for me, doing the live show was something that for once I kind of let go of that like embarrassment that's like uncomfortable and like racial, like very racist experiences have like happened to me. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I kind of like liken it to the recent injury that I had through the winter. You know, it's like, I don't know why I have such shame and embarrassment over it. Everyone, you know, that's like, you know, my coaches mentioned, like, it's part of leading like a, an athletic life is like injuries. Like, of course, like there are things that we can stop and we, we don't have to like make them be like a pattern of injury um, for different reasons. But I felt such a parallel with those two. It's like, I didn't, you know, like I didn't do anything wrong by being out on a run here in like the more kind of rural mountain town that I live in. But for some reason, for a couple years, even I carried this sense of like guilt that I did do something wrong. Um, so for us to talk about those experiences at the live show, I think for me, that was the first time where I could finally express myself and describe what happened in a way where I wasn't placing blame on myself. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's those are things that have been kind of circulating in my mind ever since we had the live show and ever since we had that conversation um, with the affinity group. Mm. That's really, yeah, I think that that definitely was a very powerful um, and thought provoking conversation that mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, that we had and that, yeah, like you were saying, I know that both of us has have continued to think through what it meant that mm -hmm. we were catering that our default in innate response and the mm -hmm. way that we operate in life 
and mm-hmm. how we carry ourselves is mm-hmm. to take on the responsibility of making mm-hmm. white people feel comfortable yeah and to take on the blame of mm-hmm. when perhaps white people are uncomfortable right mm-hmm. And that was something that stuck out to me through that conversation too, that someone named that it was white comfort. And yeah. even saying that right now, I got to, I, I got to be honest. I'm yeah. like, oh, there's a part of me, like my stomach is literally like yeah. nodding up right now mm-hmm. because I'm so, I'm like, I'm fearful, you know, and I mm-hmm. am worried that, oh no, did mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there were people who tuned into our podcast at the very beginning. And then as soon as I said, decentering whiteness, what if they're like, mm-hmm. no, not for me then, you yeah. know, and like turned it off or, you know, definitely going into the live show for Boston marathon weekend, mm-hmm. you know, how nervous I was. I was yeah very, I was very anxious and, yeah. uh, you know, n- not sleeping well <laughs> because mm-hmm. I just, I felt this pressure to mm-hmm. have to make the show fun and funny and engaging yeah. and like exciting, you know? And um, because in my mind, I was thinking about all of the other, mm-hmm. you know, popular people who are going to be in town also hosting their own live shows and recordings and events and, and feeling like I needed to kind of match that, Mm -hmm. that standard um, or energy because Mm -hmm. I wanted people to also feel like they weren't wasting their time. Yeah. Our show. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, sad when I'm able to acknowledge that and say that out loud Mm. because we are not you know like we are our own unique beings Mm -hmm. and I think that what makes each of us you know valuable and special is that we have different cultural and ethnic backgrounds and experiences Mm -hmm. and this conversation is important because of that yeah. very reason. And mm-hmm. there's no need to feel like we need to, you know, shape ourselves or mold ourselves mm-hmm. into what the, again, like <laughs> white centered, um, you know, norm has mm-hmm. been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got, you know, at, and I feel like we had a great show. Yeah. <laughs> we, we ended up, yeah, you know, we had a good time and it was a very real and authentic and meaningful mm-hmm. conversation that we had with Myrna. And, um, and I know that it was very impactful to everybody who had attended. Mm-hmm. Um, but even besides that though, I, I felt like you and I got to a good point, um, before the show actually started mm-hmm. where, yeah. I think by being able to name that we were, we were being, I think, afraid of disappointing or failing, you know, the idea of white comfort, that Mm -hmm. that was like affecting the way that we were able to show up. And Mm -hmm. as soon as we were able to name that and kind of move that aside, I think Mm -hmm. it really allowed us, freed us to kind of like open up and be honest and real yeah. about our experiences, whether they were positive or negative, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it ties into like a couple things that came, came to mind, everything that you just mentioned, like the first being 
you know, as Asian Americans and kind of falling into that like model minority um, and not, you know, not wanting to create too many waves, but wanting to, you know, discuss um, our experiences. And I think that that can be a really tough, uh, like balance to strike, right? And it also it also kind of reminds me of, um, there's a wonderful group happening out um, at UC Berkeley um, and it is a student led, and I believe the student who initially founded this course has now graduated. I'm trying to blank on her name right now. I'd have to pull up social media, but I know she created like a student led uh, course on climate change um, at Berkeley. And her whole goal with it was to kind of remove this like very like scary and um, like authoritative like approach with climate change and and make it more of, okay, let's learn about how we can make impactful changes in order um, to like better our planet um, but without it being like, you know, like yelling at someone who's like, not, who's eating meat or something like that, you know, and, and trying to strike a good balance there of, of also being positive and having like a more, um, what's the word I'm trying to, to think of? Um, yeah, like not such like a doomsday outlook um, on the subject of, of climate change, right? Um, and it, that, when I learned about that course, it does remind me of our goals with this podcast. And it's not for us to get hop on here and just like scream and shout and like throw tantrums about, you know, the injustices of the world. Um, and I hope that my hope is that, you know, our listeners never feel that way. Right. But I think we also, you know, we have to live in reality here in terms of like sometimes like these conversations, oftentimes the majority of the time, these conversations are uncomfortable and it's OK for all of us to feel that uncomfortableness, like no matter, you know, where each of us comes from, whether it's you and I recording this podcast, whether it's a listener who's been like, oh, shoot, like maybe I have been in that type of situation. Um, you know, I'm just, what I'm thinking of right now is uh, the experience that I mentioned that happened to me during 2020 that I alluded to um, during our live show um, where uh, one of my my next door neighbor actually just kind of like silently watched, you know, as her friend, um, you know, called me a racial slur. And that was the first time I'd ever been called a racial slur in my entire life, at least to my knowledge and at least like to my face. Um, but I'm like thinking about those types of situations and where like maybe some of our listeners have been in that unfortunate situation. Honestly, I have also been in that situation, um, you know, and and like, yes, I've like maybe meekly spoken up and said something, but in hindsight, it's like, you know, maybe being like 10, 15 years removed, it's like, oh, I really wish I had reacted differently. I wish I had been more assertive. I wish I'd been more vocal about it. Uh, you know, and that's taken, you know, I'll be 34 this year. It's taken decades uh, to kind of grow into my own and learn, you know, the best way to be an ally and to support others um, who are, you know, in a marginalized group and maybe are being put down like publicly. But those two things came to mind, uh, the, mo the model minority. And that's, you know, what you and I were definitely kind of like shrinking into, I feel like, before we really developed our plan for the show. And then, and then, yeah, and then making sure that we're not, you know, we're making it fun, but we're also addressing these uncomfortable topics. And I think it can, it can be a really difficult balance to strike. And I, I just, my hope is that we continue to find a good balance there and that others kind of, kind of like appreciate what we're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. I, I hope that our listeners will feel a sense of 
openness um, mm-hmm. on, from us, at least in wanting to make change together. And mm-hmm. it's like what I think Teresa Baker has talked about before of not simply like calling out uh, any yeah. wrongs, but mm-hmm. really calling people in to mm-hmm. um, to working together and yeah. building relationships because relationships yeah. are where change happens. Sure. So definitely. Um, well, yeah, I know we kind of touched on like the topic of policing and that I think that was like probably for for numerous reasons, but I think that was probably one of the most impactful topics that we covered during the live show. And like we have mentioned, it was an interesting foreshadowing um, for the remainder of the weekend. Um, I know our intent on for this episode certainly isn't to just come, you know, go into a total deep dive um, of the events that happened at, at Boston. Um, in terms of like the pioneers and trailblazers uh, cheer zone around mile 21. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge and discuss a little bit about that, as well as, you know, the work, Carolyn, that you put into in terms of the response um, to the BAA, if if you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about that. Well, yeah, um, (laughs) I can share about that. Uh, But there's also an update (laughs) on that that end that I have filled you in on. But um, Mm -hmm. I guess for anyone who maybe is not aware of what Mm -hmm. happened um, or maybe just the details of what happened um, at the Boston Marathon this past year, uh, basically at at mile 21, which is the very top of Heartbreak Hill. Well, it's Mm -hmm. the very top of, yeah, Heartbreak Hill um, Mm -hmm. in the marathon. And that is where the two running groups... Uh, the trailblazers and the pioneers run crew. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where they set up their cheer zone. And out of the entire course, uh, they are the, they were, and they are, you know, the only cheer group cheer zone that is majority black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steph and I were actually just yep. like, I don't like a few yards. A, yeah. A quarter of a mile, maybe. Yeah. Right. We're, we were just down the hill um from where they were set up mm-hmm. and I, I and I just gotta say like that's that's the area where I have always cheered from it's driving oh yeah Boston I College lo- and I loved it I loved great I loved the yeah. fact that you brought me there I, I had the most incredible time like I think my blisters on my hands from um you could see a little scar there <laughs> yeah um I think the blisters from my hands from the cowbell um are finally like fading away at this point, but hands down, I had the best time like cheering together, you and I, um, at that spot. Didn't mean to interject too much, but, uh, it's just it's such an incredible place to cheer. And I know I had the best time, like hugging all my athletes that were coming through. It's such a pivotal point in the race yes. as well. Um, you know, you've got 5.2 miles left. Everyone needs a pump up there. Um, and I think it's the perfect place, uh, for pioneers and trailblazers to be, um, but please continue on, um, with, with the events that transpired. Oh, yeah, I know my, my hands is still like, I, I know both of right? us, our, our hands were like so swollen and <laughs> stiff the, <laughs> the following days because of how hard we were yeah. ringing the cowbells. Right. But I like my index finger on my right hand is still, I feel like it's still really like, it's still recovering. Like, um, I rem- remember really when crazy. I was trying to drink coffee the next morning, I had to like, use both my hands to lift up the coffee mug. I was doing the same thing with like a kombucha bottle. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I I had like very sore, like forearms, um, <laughs> right. but, but like, 
but like on the extensor side where I typically <laughs> don't have, like, I don't utilize those tiny little muscles there. <laughs> so funny. Oh, but yeah, that's a great place to cheer from. And, mm -hmm. um, year after year, that's where I like to go. Um, because you can get like right up to the course yeah. line, you know, um, and, and the, you know, the, Boston college students are constantly just in and out. Um, <laughs> it's like a, it's like an event day for them too. Cause mm -hmm. everybody has Patriots day off here in mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Um, and I'm also just someone who um, I'm like an extroverted introvert. And so mm. I do like to be around people. And mm -hmm. so I like knowing that the pioneers and trailblazers are like right there. Sure. <laughs> But I'm not too overstimulated myself at mm -hmm. being like surrounded by people for like the entire day because yeah. we literally like we were out there the entire day. Um, exactly. Right. Until the right? course marshal. Yeah. Yes. Until the yep. course marshal came up sweeping the course. I, I thought yeah. that was I was really proud that we stayed out there. Um, it honestly didn't feel like there was never any point where I was like, oh, gosh, like we've got another hour. Yeah. I mean, it flew yeah, yeah. by and I mm -hmm. I was so excited um, for you to be able to see your friend that was coming through um you know and it's like the charity runners like that's who like really needs that pump up at that point yeah. I mean as much as I like was so thrilled to see like Emma Bates come through and like leading the race at that point you know I mean she's done in you know just over two hours kind of thing um whereas like man I have so much respect for the athletes that are putting in like five six hours um time on feet that's really incredible especially on, you know, rainy day, cold oh, weather yeah. conditions, like what it usually is mm -hmm. in April here in, in Boston this time mm -hmm. of year. Um, so it was definitely, it's a very special place um, yeah. to be cheering from. And I know that the pioneers and trailblazers also for this very reason, you know, intentionally set up their cheer zone to be there as well, mm -hmm. um, to just hype everyone up, everyone, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and so, Basically what happened this year was uh, they were set up. We could hear them, you know, they're cheering their music um, mm -hmm. coming in. And um, and I think we need to acknowledge that the Boston Marathon, as well as the New York City Marathon, mm -hmm. are they're known for the crowd support and yep. the spectators mm -hmm. um, and uh, just the party, basically, that mm -hmm. that is that exists along the course. And mm -hmm. so, and that's definitely what the pioneers and trailblazers do. You know, they bring the, the running culture, you know, oh, yeah. incredible running culture. I felt so, yes. so honored. And I know I touched on it during the live show, but I just felt so honored to be able to absorb their energy. When I ran, I ended up popping into the 26 point true marathon that the pioneers uh, run club puts on the Saturday prior uh, to Patriots day in the Boston marathon. And I mean, my gosh, it's a not a sanctioned race. Um, you know, there, there's no road closures and man, they just showed up like it was mm -hmm. incredible. Um, you know, I, I technically ran, I, I technically did not have a bib um, because I was, I was able to just uh, hop in uh, the day prior and, and get clearance from Sid, uh, the founder um, with a donation. But I mean, I, I just, I felt so lucky uh, to experience that. It was incredible. Um, and they were they were just such an amazing group of people just sprinkled throughout the city um, during that race. And I mean, like I said, I, I'll never forget that experience. It was the, definitely the highlight of my weekend alongside cheering and spectating. Um, but gosh, uh, like I said, I'll never forget it. And I'll definitely be back uh, to run 26 point true with yeah. a bib and I'll go the full distance this time. <laughs> oh, but, dang. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll mark, we'll mark our calendars for that. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so, and that's what they do. They mm -hmm. like the pioneers and trailblazers, they make you feel seen. They make you yeah. feel celebrated. Right. Yeah. And, um, that was something that has always stuck out to me, at least, um, uh, all these years that, I've known them and mm -hmm. um and witnessing how they make other runners feel out on the course like yeah. the way that especially when you are a black or brown person person mm -hmm. of color who already like as you and I can attest as we mm -hmm. since we were out there all day for the yeah. marathon that it is it is a very very significant minority um yeah. to be you know um mm -hmm. when you are a person of color running the Boston Marathon yeah. and, and the ways that I see runners on the course, um, mm -hmm. their faces light up when yeah. they come up to this cheer zone, because totally. it's like, there's this like internal, like, I see you, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's just something that I can't like, that's what I want. <laughs> you know, oh, and I gosh. know that I want that on right? the course yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so what happened this year was I um the surrounding town that is uh that where where mile 21 is located, um, residents who lived along the course ended mm -hmm. up calling police um on on the pioneers and trailblazers because of because they felt like the noise volume. Mm -hmm. um, was a disturbance and mm -hmm. um they ended up i think being so bothered by it that they notified um the volunteers the baa volunteers in the area who then had to call the police because mm -hmm. the residents were so upset about that and so you know in articles when it says the baa called the police it was not the actual organization per se um of the boston mm -hmm. athletic association it was the volunteers who were there to help along the race course, um, mm -hmm. who had to call police, um, who then ended up showing up in, unfortunately, in full force it, mm -hmm. and um, ended up surrounding and flanking, literally front mm -hmm. and back, um, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the cheer group. Um, at which our friend Remy um, caught on video and mm -hmm. who had asked me and um, Allison Sear, you know, to share on our social media platforms. And um, and then, you know, that just brought on a whole onslaught of of uh, commentary, I guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> from from mm -hmm. the, the running world and beyond. Um, yeah. But it was. I mean, it was definitely an unexpected, just unexpected. I don't even know how to describe it, but on a day that was supposed to be um, full of celebration and encouragement, you know, like mm -hmm. that's what the, that's what anybody who's out there spectating, that's what our mission is, right? We're yeah. there to encourage mm -hmm. um, and cheer on and support the runners. Um, so a day that was supposed to be centered on that ended up being yet another reminder that when you are a person of color in the sport, um, it doesn't matter if you're actively running or if you're mm -hmm. simply trying to cheer. Uh, there are those in the white community that feel like they're that you should not be there and that there is a sense of entitlement to police you, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, and that like you are not granted the same kind of like 
benefit of the doubt. Um, like, and I, I hate to even use that term because it's the freaking Boston Marathon. This was not like a protest. This wasn't a riot situation. And I want to pop in here too. I mean, there's a few points um, that I want to touch on, but you know, Carolyn and I intentionally plan to wear our diversity hats, um, which we picked <laughs> up. Um, we purchased here in Colorado uh, when Carolyn visited um, uh, just a couple months ago. Um, but our hats um, say in diversity, we trust. And to me, I've never, I've never felt like those hats are, you know, like giving a finger to politics, like our country, nothing like that. And I certainly, I also don't take them as being like anti-religion or anything like that either. Right. Like I've never interpreted them that way. I, I've interpreted them as more of like, like diversity is what makes this country strong. That's literally what this country was founded upon is like escape from, you know, religious persecution and, you know, this melting pot and the ability to, for anyone um, in this country to go after their dreams and quite frankly, like the American dream. And I feel like us wearing those hats also, it just was also just a constant reminder when we did find out like what had transpired um, with, you know, the call, the multiple calls um, to the Newton police um, in relation to the pioneers and trailblazers uh, cheer zone was that like, you know, the it's Patriots day, but maybe only for certain people. And that's, mm. that's certainly how it felt. And it's like, wait a minute, like now it's like, you can't even cheer or you can't even like do, do the same things that like the Wellesley girls are doing you know, and it's, to me, it was just this, this real slap in the face that like, in this race where I think Carolyn, you and I can definitely agree. It was like, you know, I think we made a conscious effort to make eye contact and not, and with every runner that was running past us, it wasn't like we were only singling out like, you know, runners of color or anything like that. But at certain points, I actually kind of forgot that we were wearing those hats and like that, you know, that they were, had a very visible statement on them. And I think, you know, when we were driving back to your house after spectating, we were reflecting on things. And even, you know, our friend Chris was asking us like, hey, what was your guys' favorite part of spectating? I really loved that question that he asked us because it sparked a very, like, a very like deep conversation between you and I about being seen. And we both agreed that one of our favorite parts of spectating and cheering was the fact that we were able to make eye contact with runners out there who really needed to be seen and appreciated and celebrated in that moment. Again, regardless of like their race or anything like that. But I will say that, you know, I had a very impactful moment where I connected with a queer athlete who was running, you know, with a singlet that said like, you know, protect tra trans kids, protect, protect trans lives. Um, and she, you know, kind of like put her hand over her heart and pointed to my hat. And I, like, it was honestly very emotional um, because it's like, that's really the root of being human is being seen um, and like appreciated and, and celebrated for whoever you are. Um, and I'm even like getting emotional, even just like th thinking about that, um, just that, excuse me, that connection I had with that runner out there. Um, and I think that's what made the entire situation and like the over-policing of the pioneers and trailblazers cheer zone. I think that's what made it so like just, just a punch in the gut to all of us that were there. Um, because I personally, like I've coached so many athletes at this point um, to Boston qualify to, you know, to run a strong race at Boston. 
but this was my first time being on the other side of it. I've raced it myself. Um, but I really, when I was racing it, I wasn't thinking that like, oh, you know, I'm in the minority here. I wasn't thinking about the, the significance of like the representation and lining up for a race such as Boston. Um, but I'm so grateful for the experience to be a spectator because I was able to see just how much it means um, to have athletes and people of color in that race because the reality is, is I mean, it was such a very, very small minority. Um, and that's, and that's not by saying that that's anyone's fault. That's not pointing fingers at, you know, at the BAA, that's not pointing fingers at like the running community in general. It's just a fact. Um, and just even just acknowledging that fact is really important, um, for the running community. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it, it was never as clear on that day to me how important it is to be seen. Um, and just the concept of eye contact as well. Um, you know, and I, I just, I felt so much irony and foreshadowing because at the live show, our wonderful friend and my own sports psychologist and therapist, Emily Saul, um, you know, after I had shared a very painful, like racial experience of mine, like I've alluded to um, with my neighbor, um, that she raised her hand and she asked, she was like, what would you like in that entire situation? Like, what would you have wanted your neighbor to say? And I, I didn't have the words, uh, like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what I, what I would have wanted someone to say in terms of speaking up against, you know, like lateral violence um, and racism. But the, the words that came to mind were in that moment when Emily asked me that question where I just, I wanted her to just make eye contact with me. That's all I really wanted. It was for her to acknowledge that I was a human being and we live right next door to each other. That's, that's really all I wanted in that moment was eye contact. Um, and so that like theme of like being seen and eye contact, I just, I felt that so strongly when we were out there spectating. And that, that honestly became like my goal um, with athletes who look like they're really struggling or, or again, like athletes who I know it meant a lot for them to see that, like, we were out there, like, and encouraging them and, and standing for something and so proud of what they were representing out there, um, being a person of color. But that's a very long winded um, interjection there about the whole situation that transpired. But just I've been thinking on that so much um, ever since uh, the Boston Marathon. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of work that mm -hmm. needs to be done that, yeah, um, that it's not enough necessarily just to even have representation right. of any <laughs> any people right. group that's out there. Um, but I, I mean, in regards to what happened, like any aftermath and follow up with what happened with the um, with the run groups, they did meet, you know, the leaders of the mm -hmm. run crews um, met with Jack Fleming, a president of the BAA and mm -hmm. um, and they had a good, you know, productive conversation. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the BAA already has been in relationship with the trailblazers sure, yeah. and pioneers, you know, and um, I know that there is a lot of work that's being done on the ground level with um, other local organizations in um, at least internally with, um, mm -hmm. with the BAA. Um, and you and I had talked about, like, I, I was working on an open letter <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to write because at that time I, 
I hadn't known like what else was being done aside mm-hmm. from, you know, Jack Fleming put out this public statement that, mm-hmm. um, that many still myself included felt like it was kind of a lot of words, not to say yeah. nothing, basically. It felt, that, it felt very like very political in terms mm-hmm. of trying to kind of cater to both sides, which I understand. Like I, I understand, you know, they are kind of, they are the largest, you know, race organization here in the United States and quite possibly the world. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to like quote that, but, um, but it definitely felt like, you know, we're going to acknowledge what happened and like, we don't agree with that, but we also like can't put on the race without, you know, our first responders and our police force, which is also true. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I, for me I didn't know, really know like what to take from it. Right. It it felt very open-ended and very um, well, we don't want to make a definitive statement, you know, to offend one group or the other, which I understand it's classic PR. Um, But I also, you know, it kind of left me like, okay, so now what, or where do we Mm -hmm. go from here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how I was feeling too. And so Mm -hmm. I was working on a letter. um, But then I, well, I spoke with, like Allison this year and, um, Mm -hmm. and with Sid and, um, and learned that there are groups that are working with the Mm -hmm. BAA and, um, at this point, at least. So this is my update for you at least. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, that I didn't want to add to the noise. Um, and I was encouraged to hear that there are community oriented efforts and work that's going on, um, to, yeah, to have outreach to mm. all the different towns that the marathon course runs through because, uh, you know, um, they're all pretty much majority white towns, affluent mm-hmm. white towns. And um, and going back to what we had touched upon at the very beginning of this recording episode is white comfort. And yeah. when you're not familiar or have relationships with people who are different from you, then... Mm-hmm it makes it easier for you to feel like there's an infringement on your Mm. space and your comfort. Yeah. Um, Right. And so I know that there are community oriented efforts that are, you know, going on. And so at this point now, I mean, we'll see, right. Like Mm -hmm. three, six months from now, I guess a year from now, like hopefully um, there will be clearer statements put out by the BAA in terms of expectations on race Mm -hmm. day. Um, And hopefully there can be more um, opportunities Mm -hmm. between um, the communities that line the race course, as well as the black and brown communities within the city of Boston, you know, Mm -hmm. um, where the pioneers and trailblazers are based out of. more opportunities for, um, for interaction and relationship building. So, yeah, you know, anyway, yeah. So that's, those are kind of <laughs> the thoughts, I think, like our reflections, yeah. mm-hmm. um, on the Boston marathon weekend. Yeah. I know. I think, I feel like it was kind of a classic example of like we've touched on, like this, it's okay if you're here, but like, we're going to have like restrictions on you and like how much you can like cheer, how loud you can cheer. Um, and I shared a story, uh, just, it was so hard to like, you know, there's so many comments, like so many things going around. I really appreciated the fact that there was a lot of 
professional runners in the field um, that shared photos of themselves, like going through that, the cheer zone and just talking about how, how much they loved going through mile 21. I, I thought that was really neat. Um, but I shared something because I was like, gosh, like, I don't want to share something that's, you know, just kind of like re repetitive. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to share something that just was like, just at least capturing like how I was feeling about the response um, to to the incident. Um, and really, I think what it boiled down to for me is one of my biggest pet peeves in life um, is like when someone plays devil's advocate, but without like any contributing value or um, like they, they don't even have like a vested interest in playing devil's advocate. It's just kind of to be argumentative. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how it felt like kind of scrolling through the comments. I definitely had to take a step back, especially, you know, with this year being the first year um, that the BAA had uh, a non-binary category. It, I was very much feeling the same way um, in response to those comments. Um, but it just, it felt like, okay, like it's one thing to analyze a situation and like gather all the facts. And th that's very valid. And I, I, I it's, a, you know, coming from medicine and my scientific background, that's largely a part of the scientific process. So I can greatly appreciate that. There's a difference between doing that and then also just, consistently playing devil's advocate and you're not providing any value to the situation. Um, and you're also not doing that to all groups of people. You're mm -hmm. only doing that um, to like very specific groups of people. Um, I think that's like the, this like annoyance that I found in terms of the response to it. It's like, yeah, please, like, please gather all the facts and, you know, and, and try to see both sides. That's, that's very valid um, and something that's important, but like, are you doing that? all the time consistently across the board or are you you know or, or do you have this bias here that maybe you're not even aware of um and you're only doing it to certain groups of people um i don't know that was that was my feelings and thoughts um on the response um, that i saw within the running community um so I, I felt like that was at least a little bit important to share just because it's like like why be argumentative about something if and, and what you're not believing what you see um through the videos I know our, our close friend Peter um had mentioned that as well he was like I saw the videos like I saw the response and I believed like what my eyes saw you know um I don't know uh, so I, I know there's a lot of work to be done but I, that's wonderful news though that there are multiple groups um that are taking action there um, to move forward and to hopefully like prevent that something like that and that type of response and over policing from happening again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I cannot, the comment sections are always. Oh gosh, I know. Trash. No, it's not trash, <laughs> but yeah. Handle with the, like approach with a grain of salt. I don't know. Right. Um, well, yeah. I think that's coming up on our time here. Uh, yeah. I know we have a lot of other topics we want to cover especially with it being um, Asian American, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander um, Heritage Month. So we will plan on covering those topics on our next episode. Uh, Carolyn, anything else you wanted to add on our discussion here today? No, I can't think of, I just am shocked yet again at how quickly our time has gone by. I know. <laughs> because we had a list of things we mm -hmm. thought that we were gonna get to today, but. Right. Yes. Um, happy AANHPI Heritage mm -hmm. Month. Um, and I'm looking forward to next time when we unpack a little bit more of each of our backgrounds. Likewise. So. All right. 
Well, thank you guys so much for being here. We hope you're enjoying these episodes. Uh, you can find us now on, Carolyn, correct me if I'm wrong, Spotify, correct? Yes. As of right now, we're on Spotify and okay. I will set up <laughs> the RSS to uh, Apple and Amazon and let me know if there are other platforms that we should be on. Yeah. <laughs> as well. Yeah. Rate, subscribe. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback and we look forward to chatting with you guys next time. All right. See y'all on the internet.